looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Thinking's over, the asking's over. Now you've got to go eyeball to eyeball, nose to nose, toes to toes with another person. Jesus just didn't sit in some little hut thinking that through that the world would be reached. He had to actually confront people. And so now the confrontation could be very simple. You're now thinking about, all right, this person has this gift. The Lord laid it on my heart. I see the responsibility here. Now I've got to find out what project might they be good in. Now you don't control them, you don't manipulate them, and you don't intimidate them. But what you do want to do is motivate them. And so you're now going to ask them. A phrase I like to use after I've done that, you can't use this phrase, otherwise you might operate in the flesh. But after you've done the others, you ask this. Have you ever thought about May I suggest, would you consider this? You know, I was thinking, now what you have to be very careful of, and this is Ponzism now, my opinion, don't say the Lord told me to tell you this. I hate that when someone comes. I mean, I know they mean well, but I'm thinking, why they t- why do you tell you and not me? You know, I, my phone was on, you know, I just, my cell phone's working, you know, so to speak. But just go up to them and say, in my opinion, I've been thinking about this. I am so glad for the men and women that somehow God brought into my life that at special times and frequently they would now tell me, Stan, have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about that? Have you considered this? Have you considered that? Maybe the way I was wired, I took that very seriously. I did take it to the Lord. I only regret the times that they've said that and I might have missed an opportunity. I can only rely on His sovereignty to get me back on track. If you don't mind, I'd like to have just a word of prayer. I'm not done yet, but I I feel really constrained to pray right now. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, and pray with me for just a moment? You know, we do want to pray that we have the courage as a leader to speak to them. But we also want to pray that they'll be receptive to our influence and leadership. Father, it is your intention for all of us to be leaders. Sometimes that's a frightening task. But God, it's your design to at least influence somebody. So I pray for courage. I pray for courage for every person here today and those that are listening, that they will do the steps that we're talking about and that we have in the past weeks, that they will take time to think, pray, ask, and then the critical step of coming alongside someone and suggesting, of making that challenge in a person's life. I know that we're afraid to do that sometimes because we don't want to play God in their life at all. So Father, our prayer is that when we do it, that you'll make them receptive to hear what we have to say and that they could discover the higher purpose that you have called them to, not just us. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me go to number three. After we've done the living the example and continue to do that and we've given them a greater purpose, the third is we want to affirm them for their potential. We want to affirm them for their potential. It's hard to believe that, especially when you've got a struggling daughter, a struggling son, or a a husband that's just not right, or a wife that's just kind of outside the, the, the boundaries here, and you just think, do they have potential? I believe that as long as a person breathes, that they have potential in their life in some measure. I wish I had time to bring some of you up here, that you could take the microphone and you could talk about the times in your unsaved condition, the drugs you took, the life you lived, the deeds you've done, the people you've hurt, I know that's pretty painful. But I also, when you're telling that, 
I want to remind that that was in your life then and you still had potential then when God changed you and it was unleashed. And those of you that are out there, you have potential right now. I don't know what you're in right now. You've got great potential. The point of the matter is when you surrender to Christ, that potential now is released. Let me just give it to you on the secular arena. Many years ago in the 40s and 50s, we've got some older folks in here, you might relate to this, especially if you remember the Green Bay Packers. How many remember the Green Bay Packers in the 40s and 50s? You younger might just know it by history. That team was a losing team. In fact, for 12 years, they only won 30% of their games. Think about it, 12 years, 30%. That means they lost 70% of their games. In 1958, they had an embarrassing year because that year they lost all their games but one game. So they released their coach and they hired another coach and his name was Vince Lombardi. When they hired him, the very next year, they had a winning year. After that, they had nine years of nine winning seasons. They won 75% of their games. They won so many championships and they won the first two Super Bowls. Why was that? Because Vince Lombardi, whatever he was as a coach, he knew how to look at his guys and say simply this. You're better than that. You guys have winning in you. I know that you can do that. And it's my job to show you how you can do what you want to do to win. And then he went into that famous saying, winning isn't everything, it's what? The only thing. Some of you guys know that. So there's great potential that's out there. So what happened? They just had a leader that knew how to look at the best of them. Look at Mark chapter 10 verse 21. We come back to that same story of the CEO. Remember the one that came to Jesus and Jesus said, sell all of this, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Same guy. Jesus looked at him steadily and he was filled with love. Jesus was filled with love for him. I think that's really critical. Circle the word steadily. And then I'd like you to look up here for a moment. When you want to help a person see the potential that they have, sometimes you have to shut your life down for a little bit. Slow it down. Look at your kids for a moment. Steadily look at them. Pay attention. No distractions. Think about them. And I believe that God will give you even a greater love for that child, for that husband, for that wife, perhaps for that grumbling, complaining employee. But for just a moment, like Jesus, you steadily look at that person and look at them with eyes of love. Look at them as being in the mind of God before they're in their mother's womb. Look at them as knowing that God has a purpose and a plan for their life. Look at them as that God lovingly, sovereignly brought you two together. And now it's our job, in some measure, to affirm them. Jesus did that all the time. You remember? impetuous Peter always had his foot in his mouth so he had an athlete's mouth you know kind of thing always doing the wrong thing and yet Jesus could look at him and say you know what Petros you're going to be Petros but some of you say huh Petros 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 means you're a little stone but you're going to be a big rock can you look at people and say I can see some areas in your life well, you're going to be big and you're going to be useful and begin to affirm them just like that. I hope you don't label them. Oh, you can't do it. You're good for nothing. When you do that, it doesn't work. Men, does nagging work? 
Men, does nagging work? No. Okay. It doesn't work. Okay. I'm going to tell you that nagging really doesn't work. And Jesus really didn't nag. He just gave the truth, walked away, reminded once or twice, and then let the other person do what they needed to do. I like the way Jesus really affirmed people. Look what he says in John 14, 12. He says, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. The rest of the verse, it's not in your outline, says this. In fact, Jesus goes on to say, he will do even greater things than me because I'm going to my father. I, I, I hit that verse and I thought, how do you do greater things than now because he's going to his father and all of that? There are a lot of answers and I think there are multiple correct answers. I'm going to just give you one. When Jesus was on the earth in his human, God-human fashion, he could only be at certain places at certain times. Now, I know that he's everywhere present, omnipresent God, but Jesus himself could not be omnipresent in his bodily form. Now, he leaves, he now comes inside of us, Christ in us, the hope of glory, we're a partaker of his divine nature. Now, watch what I'm saying. You now are part of his body, and so the body of Christ, which was only one body when he was on the earth, you now are all parts of his body, and you're scattered everywhere. So how in the world can we do greater things? It's because we're scattered. There's millions of Christians. Let me give you an example. We've got um, Brian Wiedemeyer, one of our guys here, military guys, flies helicopters, and he's in Afghanistan right now. We've got Chaplain Wayne leaving for three months on a ship. Now I'm thinking, we can connect to these guys through prayer, so in a sense, we're doing even greater things even through prayer. Why? How does this fit into affirmation? When you can't speak to them, you can pray for them. And as they're now connected to the Lord, the influence of the Lord goes everywhere. And that's what I'm excited about. Your son, your daughter, they will leave your nest. And they may boomerang back again, but they're going to leave your nest. <laughs> but I hope that the time that they are out before they boom around back, that they will know that they have a mom or dad that sees the best in them and has affirmed them as they go out and do a wonderful job for God. Look at Proverbs twelve twenty five. It says, a word of encouragement does wonders. So look for the things that they're doing right. Would you like to know how to encourage them? The practical steps of encouraging them? Go to the internet and download the rest of my sermon. I don't have time to go through those. You'll find it on the internet. Let's go to number four. <clears throat> Trust people with responsibility. Trust people with responsibility. People respond to responsibility. Now, if you ask them to do something that is way beyond their skill set, way beyond their comfort level, they're going to turn it down. But I'm talking about those little baby steps that we can all take to help them with a little bit of responsibility. And they really can do it. I remember when I grew up in my home, my dad was a great one to give me more responsibility. I was driving at 16. He gave me a group of men that worked for him. He was a painting contractor when I was 19 that I had to lead. I remember when I was a little kid, junior high, in junior high school, my dad would have me mow the yard. But my dad didn't just say mow the yard. My dad would have me mow the yard. But before he did, he put his arm around me and he'd say, Stan, I want to tell you something. I want you to mow the yard. I want you to mow it the very best that you can because when you mow this yard, you are putting your signature on this yard. Now, I don't mean I took the lawnmower and put Stan in the yard. But he said, you're putting your signature on this yard. And everyone who comes, here's what I'm going to tell them. My son, Stan, did this yard. Now today, because there's so much of this stuff, they call that a guilt trip. I don't think that's a guilt trip. I think that's a responsibility trip. I think they're telling me something that I should do good. 
I remember when I graduated from high school, my dad sat me down and he says, no Pons has ever graduated from high school. You're the first one. You're going to college, aren't you? And I said, yes. He says, you better graduate. I said, I will, sir. When I graduated, he said, you know what? You could be the first Pons that gets a master's degree. I thought, okay. Got that done. I thought, I'm done. He says, you know, you could be the first Pons that gets an earned doctorate degree. So I went at it again. I'm so glad he quit after that. That's all I can say. But you know, dads don't have to be the only ones. I had a youth pastor. I was 16. He came to me and he said, in youth group, you're responsible to bring the refreshments. Now, kids, relax. I'm an old man. Back in those days, we didn't have these soda cans. They were all done in bottles and they were in these wooden crates. You'd have 24 in a crate. I would have to pick up 24 in a crate, two crates of these, along with a bucket full of ice. And the youth pastor, um, Bruce Porter, came to me and he said, now Stan, if, there's, if you don't bring the soda, there will be no soda, and there'll be 50 kids here knowing that there's no soda, and they'll know that you didn't bring it. <laughs> call it a guilt trip? I'd rather call it a responsibility trip. I remember then that I had to run that through the grid of my own commitment. I had to take a bus home from school because, anyway, I had to take a bus home from school. When I got home, I had to do all my weekend homework before our Friday night youth group. I had to show it to my parents to prove that I had my homework done, then get in the car, go get the soda, and bring it to youth group by 7, 7.30 that night. I only missed twice in the three years that I was doing it. One, I had an accident before I got the soda in the car, and the other, I got the mumps. But apart from that, that taught responsibility. The point of the matter is, people respond to responsibility. If you want them to raise, rise to the next level of leadership, give them little baby steps. Look, if you will, the example of Christ in Matthew 16, 19. And he said this, I am giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you lock on earth will be locked in heaven. Whatever you open on earth will be open in heaven. Now, I'm not going to unpack all of that other than to say what he just did to them is he gave them an incredible responsibility. I'm reminded of the words where Paul said this to the church at Thessalonica. He said this, he says, We have been put in trust, responsibility, with the gospel. Even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tries our heart. I am entrusted with this gospel. And maybe that's why I'm so committed to give it as often as I can here at least, and hopefully clearly. And I say all that to say, because I had parents that gave me responsibility and then help nurture me through that responsibility where it could be trusted. So it's little baby steps. Look in Luke chapter 16, verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with little can also be trusted with a lot. Young people that are listening to me, wherever you might be for a moment, would you look up here for a second? If you're wondering, how come my parents don't allow me to have more freedom, trust me with more or give me more responsibility, what you might do for a moment, instead of pointing your finger at the weaknesses of your mom and dad or the fact that they're too structured and they're too uh, controlling of you, for just for a moment, can you, can you mature up for just a second and look at yourself and say, could it be that the little things that they've asked me to do, I don't do? I don't put my clothes away. I don't help with the dishes. I don't volunteer here. They asked me to take my dog for a walk. There's a little things that I don't do and there's this disconnect from the big responsibility. And I'm saying, listen, most parents that are normal parents now want to give away more stuff to you. And they're willing to do that. If you're willing to step up with the little things. And that's just a biblical thing right here. Let me give you the last verse and then we'll go on. It says here. If you love someone you will always believe in him. 
You will always expect the best of him. That's in a way of giving responsibility. Do you love the person? Believe the best about him. Expect the best about him. It's all done by love. Let me give you number five. Give people honest feedback. This is probably the most difficult out of all seven in the list. Give people honest feedback. Watch how he does this feedback. He told the disciples, go out and do these miracles. They went out and they tried to do a miracle and they didn't do it. So they went, huh, what's going on here? They go back to the Lord. They go to the Lord. Basically, they say, what's up, Lord? You told us to go out to do this stuff. We didn't do this. So now the Lord's going to give them honest feedback. Look now, if you will, at the passage in Matthew 17. He says, it was because you do not have enough faith, answered Jesus. Now, here's the point. This is what you want to underline. I assure you that if you have faith as a mustard seed, you could do anything. So here's what he did. He gave the negative. He said, he gave him feedback. You didn't do it right. But if you do it right, this is what you're going to get. Now, parents, this is the key to influencing kids. This is the key of those of you that are in a leadership role at work. If you want to help someone, instead of writing them up for the negative, give them the little bit what they're doing wrong so they can see where they missed the mark and then get to the things that they could do right. Now, watch, 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 watch. If they quickly said, you know what? I blew it. I should have done that a little bit better. As soon as you know they got it, you don't need to keep proving how right you are and how wrong they were by hammering, hammering, hammering. You let it go. And you let God take over from them. Be grateful that they manned up or womaned up when they said, you know what, I blew that little thing. Okay, all right, all right, okay, let's go on. Grieve it and leave it. How many of you have ever heard of the coach, John Wooden? Anybody remember that name? In fact, uh, I believe maybe he's passed away recently. Has he died yet? Anybody know about John Wooden? I think he's passed away. He's a famous coach of the UCLA Bruins. Winning his coach in college uh, basketball, I believe, at one time, maybe even still holds all the records for so many games that he has won. In fact, there's even books on leadership on how John Wooden would lead people. But if I could take all of it and reduce it to how he did this, of giving feedback, I could do just two words. If you got these two words, you got it. He said he'd do this. I'd correct, instruct. Correct, instruct. Do you got that? You just correct it and you instruct it. That's how you give the honest feedback. That's all he did. Simple as pie. Wasn't much more difficult than that. Just simply give the correction and then you give them the instruction. So how do you correct without condemning? Two little things. Check your motives when you are going to correct. Are you angry? Is it all about you? Do they make you look bad and you can't look bad and so now it becomes all around you so you now control the people that are under you so that they do right so it makes you look good? Folks, this is heavy what I just gave you. Most people in a role, if they really check their motives, most of the time they're trying to correct because what the others did made that person not look good. So watch out for that. The second is simply this. When you do the correction, speak it with grace and affirmation. Look at the verse I left you in your outline. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Do not use harmful words. Use only helpful words, the kind that builds up. Well, the next two are so simple, I'm just going to rattle through these quite rapidly. So if you will, write them down. Simply treat people as equals. Real leaders don't act superior. I like what Jesus had to say in John 15, 15. And you have to remember, this is Jesus, Almighty God, saying this to his disciples. He's the disciple and those are the disciples. Jesus said, I do not call you servants. Instead, I call you friends. In your margin... You're going to put first, equal in relationships. Treat people as equal, equal in relationships. Now, I hope that in some measure, I'm working on modeling this in front of you with the pastoral team. Most pastors, they have the senior guy, the lead guy up here, and they've got these other guys that do all the work for them. 
most of our guys here do the work for me too, but they kind of have this big disconnect here. Here I try to call it a pastoral leadership team. Most of the time it's what the team's decided. Most things we bring to the team and we decide together. It's a little slower to do it that way, but at the same time we have a greater buy-in on most issues. Technically there is the head hog at the trough. Okay? I know that. I know the buck stops with me. I know ultimately everything rises and falls on the lead pastor, the senior pastor. But we still operate as a team. We try to treat each other as friends on this team. Hoping that maybe modeling to you as a leader that you'll do it relationally rather than through titles, power, authority. And that you'll do it more by relationship. At times, there is that God, Jesus, man, woman. We know that we have those kinds of authority charts in Scripture and God does talk about that. But we treat Him as an equal. The second is, we're also equal in benefits. Look at the verse I put here for. Treat people as equals. Did you know that the Bible says that God shares credit? Look at this. When Christ, who is your real life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all His glory. Picture with me for just a moment. I, I think maybe I could translate that in a much simpler paraphrase. You're going downtown and you're going to one of the theaters and you see up on the marquee, showing an eternity, starring Jesus Christ, co-starring your name. Can you catch that? That we know it's Christ, but what Christ through his inspiration of scripture is telling us that even in his glory, we're going to share in that glory with him. So when you treat people as equals, you're going to treat them relationally as an equal and also at the same time, you're going to share in the benefits together. And so that's why you work as a team. You influence by relationship, mostly by modeling, often by mentoring, but you're doing it in a relational way, reminding them that the buck stops here. I take the responsibility, but I share the blessings. Got that? Now number seven. People should be prayed for. I think you know that. If you look at Christ, he's constantly praying for people. So if you want to be a leader, this is the part I can't really give in a secular business professional seminar, but I can to you folks here, that we need to bathe these people in prayer. You pray for your friends, you pray for the people in your small group, you pray for other salespeople, you pray for students, you pray for your children, you pray for your husband, you pray for your wife, you pray for your pastor. Jesus said, look, Simon, I pray for you that your faith may not fail. Maybe that would be your prayer request and you could have someone pray for you. I like what it says where Jesus says, not only did I pray for them, I prayed for you and me. He's praying for us then, now. He says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all those who will ever believe in me because of their testimony. I guess my question is, is that sometimes when you've done all that you could to influence other people, you've done your part, you stand clean before the Lord, you tried to do everything, now there's this time that you're going to now take it and bathe it in prayer. It doesn't mean you tried and failed, it means you still pray for the person whether it succeeded or whether it didn't succeed, you still go to the Lord and you realize that it's still all about the Lord and their relationship with God. That's the most important thing we do is we want to pray for them. If you want to have a wonderful exercise and a quiet time study, go just to the New Testament and look at all the prayers that the Apostle Paul prayed for others and then you then do a study on how did he pray for all the other people in his life. There's your consummate leader that's human only praying for other people. 
Well, folks, maybe it's time for us to pray. So let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed. There's more on the internet. You can get it. Check in about a week. It should be up there. But right now, I'd like to have an opportunity to just speak with you. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, these are seven skills of leadership. So my question to you is, what are you going to do with your life? Are you now going to see yourself as an influencer of others? It doesn't mean that you have power position, that you have a lot of money and all that. You just see yourself, young or old, you could be frail. But now you're saying, until the last breath I draw, I want to influence those that are around me. Or are you more interested in being a wealth builder, a reputation builder, a career builder, (laughs) a bodybuilder? Or would you rather be a people builder? Do you know why I say that? Because reputations will come and go. Your body is going to come and go. But people will never come and go. They'll last forever. Fame is so fleeting. I encourage you not to waste a moment of your life. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Oh, 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 oh